Welcome to Melanated Faith, a podcast about faith and culture. On this podcast, you're going to hear the truth spoken, the tea spilled, and pop culture explored by your co-host, Faith and Catherine. This is a special edition in honor of our friend Tasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. We thought we would give you a little taste of her book, give you some of our thoughts, and why you should purchase it. Let's dive in. All right, so we are going to dive in right now. So right now we're in chapter six of the book. And so this chapter is talking all about forgiveness. And I know, I know y'all think this means kumbaya. This is so great. But really, if this week has not proven anything to us, it is proven to show that forgiveness is a hot topic and it has literally polarized the nation. So we saw Botham Dean's brother, Brant Jean, recently forgive Amber Geiger, and everybody has had a thought about it. I mean, the, the whole world has thoughts about it. Who would have known? Who would have known forgiveness would be such a hot topic? Catherine, yeah, let's, what's your take? I think that forget. I have lots of thoughts. Forgiveness, I think, is a critical part of the reconciliation process. I think Tasha um, shares some kind of personal stories, but I think what the book does so well in this chapter is laying out what forgiveness is and is not. Um, and I think in light of the um, branching, hugging Amber Geiger, I think that's so important because I think we often want to jump to forgiveness. We want to pretend like, oh, Forgiveness is the same as reconciliation, and it's actually not. Like, forgiveness is for me, the offended, um, to offer sometimes when we're ready. And I think the reality is sometimes we're not ready. And that is okay. That is an okay response. You have to have space for people to both be angry to have sorrow, to go through the full range of emotions. Um, and I think, Tasha, I'll just share this quote from the, the chapter where she says, practicing forgiveness does not mean simply ignoring or glossing over evil and injustice we've, or the injustice we've experienced. It also doesn't mean that we deny or spiritualize away feelings of anger or grief in the normal emotions of wounded hearts. So I want to say a couple of things. People of color. If you have been wounded, you are allowed to be upset and to be angry. You do not automatically have to go to forgiveness. Some people can, and sometimes you can. Sometimes you can easily be like, forgive them, Father, because they know not what they do. Other times, you're going to go through a cycle of, of, of emotions, and to pretend like you're not feeling those emotions, that's why some of y'all are in therapy. Let's just be honest, because you stuff emotions down rather than allowing yourself to feel your feelings. So I want to just say from the jump in this conversation, this might be triggering for some people. You might not be there yet. And I want to say that's okay. And I understand. We understand. And I want to say the second thing I want to say is to the majority culture, our white brothers and sisters, is do not demand forgiveness from people when they're not ready. Cause mm. honestly, that says to me, you're not ready to, you're not ready for this reconciliation conversation. Right. Because if you think that, well, you know, I didn't mean it, it was an accident specifically in the Geiger case. Like 
it was an accident. I think she genuinely thought she was in the wrong apartment. But that is not an excuse. Intent does not negate impact. And Mm -hmm. so to understand that is to say you're offended. You want to apologize and say that you're sorry. And don't say I'm sorry if you were offended. That is a cop out. Like I offended you. I am sorry. I don't you, you maybe you need to say I don't fully understand what I did. But when you're ready to talk about it or for us to have a conversation about it, I'm here ready, willing, listen to listen and learn. Um, And I just think, you know, it's just so hard as a person of color when things like this happen. I mean, even in the book, um, Tasha talks about the Emmanuel nine is Mm -hmm. we want to lift up, especially black Christians like guys, America does not deserve us. Let's just they don't, you know, they I mean, I just. You know, I just think, you know, there's this like fear that black people want to treat white people the way we have been treated in this country. And I think time and time and time again, we have shown not not to be the case. And I think that there's this rush. I always see this rush to lift up these examples of like forgiveness um, from, you know, people who have clearly been wrong. But you don't create that same space or there's not that same urgency or conversation. I when it comes to the injustices that we're even having to have these trials in the first place, you know what I mean? And so I think that to me is very frustrating to see people who didn't have anything to say about this man's murder, about Botham John's murder um, and the injustice of him being killed have so much to say about, Oh, forgiveness, forgiveness, his brother forgave. And Tasha makes it very clear that that, that's not what forgiveness does not negate justice. Exactly. And the fact that so many people were like so excited and readily posting like, oh my gosh, this is so great. He forgave. This is what God wants. Oh my goodness. He told her to go to Jesus and, you know, give her life to him. But you were silent about how his brother's murder was unjust, how this man was killed in his own home. You had nothing to say. But when it's talking about extending forgiveness to her, you're like, oh, that's so special. Forgiveness is special. And he forgave her for him. That does something for him to forgive, to not hold on to that. And I think that that's his prerogative to forgive how he wanted to. But the the issue that I have is that the majority culture has this expectation that when we mess up, we want you to hurry up and forgive us. Let's sweep it under the rug. Hurry up and forgive us. No, We don't owe you an expedited period of forgiveness that sometimes jumps over our anger and our seasons of lament. We get to sit in that. We can sit in that. We don't have to rush through it to make you feel better. Yeah. I think also, too, just allowing people to have their full humanity, right? And to feel all of their feelings, right? And so, and the thing about it is, the other thing is, you know, my pastor always talks about forgiveness is an ongoing process. So I can say I forgive you and still feel some kind of way about it um, a month later. And, and if we are in relationship, you should allow me to feel those feelings, right? Like even if I've, if I've communicated to you that I forgive you, I often see the, the, Oh, well you forgave me. You can't bring this up again. And it's like, no, sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's a very complicated process where I, you know, I'm triggered by something, emotions, whatever. And even if I have a desire for reconciliation, 
that it is going to be hard for me. And I think recognizing that forgiveness is difficult, that just even saying the words, I forgive you, doesn't necessarily negate all of those other emotions and all those things come after. And I think creating the space for that and allowing people to to have that and not just wanting to kind of rush past it. And I think, you know, in the book, I think Tasha makes a great point about like forgiveness is critical to the reconciliation process, but also it's a part of the process. It is not the process. It is not the end point. So like me saying, I forgive you as an individual does nothing to address systemic injustice. Going back to both of John, right? It doesn't do anything to address systemic racism. And I think it's important in our individual relationships, but it doesn't necessarily in terms of communal recon- communal relationships or um, this idea of addressing systemic justice, which is a part of what we're doing when we're talking about reconciliation. Exactly. Um, individual forgiveness doesn't deal with those things. And so, again, it's so important to be clear about what forgiveness is and is not. It is not the end point of reconciliation. It is a part, a part, let me say again for the people in the back, a part of reconciliation. It is not the end. Right. And I think, I think that was the tension that some people had, right? They felt like when he offered forgiveness, that people's perception of it, the majority culture perception and celebration of it was, oh, this is the end now. Like, while it was a beautiful moment, and I do pray that she does give her heart and life to God if she hasn't already. Um, yeah. That's that's a piece of it. But that's, we haven't even talked, we haven't even jumped over to what his mom said about dealing with the corruption about it. from Dallas, the Dallas Police Department. Come on now, y'all. Like, she got on there and talked about how there has been corruption in this case. She got there. She didn't do CPR. She contaminated the, the crime thing. We didn't even talk about so much corruption that has happened. So, okay, forgiveness, that's cool. But we that does not deal with the injustice. That does not deal with the system. That does not deal with Dallas PD and what they need to do, what they need to address to change. Yes, it is good that, you know, she's going to face the consequences. I mean, that's that's just life. Like you do things and there's consequences for your actions. But we still need to, I think... Um, both of his mom's words were just as powerful as his brother's, even if not more powerful, honestly. And I think people weren't spreading and sharing that because it wasn't as palatable as they liked. It doesn't feel as pretty and as, and as, you know, with a bow on it and yeah, we can celebrate it. Oh my God. Like, no, 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 no. Like she came in with the truth and it's like, people don't want that. They don't want to hear it. They, they want the celebration. They want the hug. They want the whatever without the accountability. That's not and I think it's because I think it goes back to this idea that like you know I think Tasha says this throughout the book that this process reconciliation is costly and that moment of hugging between Brandt and Amber doesn't cost anybody anything right it ties it up on a neat bow but then when we get to his mother right like she is demanding justice she is demanding change she is demanding accountability And those demands require an answer, right? And so everybody wants a reconciliation process that doesn't cost them anything. Mm. Everybody wants, everybody wants to just, you know, a woo-woo, woo-saw session where, and then we're over and we're over this. And let me just say, nobody wants to be over racism in America more than black people. Because (laughs) my God. I'm just gonna be real. It has been 400 years. 
plus. And guys, it is exhausting. Yes. It is exhausting. Yes. And like, we want to be over it too. It does not bring us any joy or pleasure to talk about this, but it's like the reality in which we live in. Right. And so, you know, I'm sure Mrs. John, I know, I know she would rather have her son. She would have rather celebrated his 28th birthday with him than be out in, in this courthouse explaining, you know, talking about her Christian faith and talking about the corruption in the Dallas police department. Like that probably, like that was her preferred life. Um, you know, and God did not give that to her. Um, that's not her experience. But so to me, don't cheapen her son's death, Mm. um, and cheapen the reality of the situation by just talking about the hug. Um, because that it was costly. Like, I think if you are the offender, like, Part of it is just like recognizing the cost to the offended. And I think not taking that lightly, like people want cheap grace, like they want to be forgiven, Mm. they want to get over it, but they don't want to deal with the underlying behaviors. And I think, you know, Tasha makes a really good point of like, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. Like when we talk about reconciliation, when we talk about forgiveness, it isn't about cheap grace. It is about recognizing the cost to the offended party. It is about, you know, we'll get into this more in another chapter. It is about also making amends. It is about justice. These things are not mutually exclu- exclusive. Like, I can forgive you, and you can still go to jail for what you did. Exactly. God forgave our sins, and Jesus still went to the cross. Like, the reality That's the is, truth. you know, <laughs> like, there are consequences for our actions. And so, don't cheapen forgiveness or cheapen grace by just kind of being like, oh, well, that's all I have to do. That's all I, that's all you're owed in this in this process. And we don't have to go any further. I don't have to go any further. It doesn't require anything more of me. Exactly. And I think, too, like, so, one thing you were saying that I just, this is, like, not a serious statement at all. But one thing that you were saying when you're like, it's been over 400 years. I'm like, yes, over 400 years. And I am bored with racism. I'm bored with it. I am over bored it. <laughs> with racism. I'm not excited about it. I'm not celebrating it. Not happy about it. I'm not happy to not feel safe in certain places. I'm bored. I'm bored with racism. Okay. It's, it's old. Guys. Old news. Honestly, somebody could have cured cancer. The, uh, the amount of time and energy you spend thinking about your personal safety, your family's personal safety. I mean, like literally if I could have channeled that energy, I really feel like there is somebody out there that could have cured cancer if they did not have to spend so much of their mental energy navigating and dealing with the effects, the ongoing consequences of racism in America. I'm just saying like nobody enjoys, like please stop talking about the race card. Nobody enjoys, I won't say nobody. Because I don't want to be, maybe there is someone out there. I will say, I don't know any black person that enjoys being, pulling out, quote unquote, the race card. Because it's costly. And I just think, I, I really, I think one of my big takeaways from this chapter, and even like, Tasha's sharing of her personal stories and her own family, is that forgiveness is costly. It is godly. I mean, Jesus, like, it is a part of what it means to be a Christian, like, you know, she quotes C.S. 
Lewis, I think, in where, you know, Jesus, for God forgave the unforgivable or the inexcusable in us so that we can give that to other people. Like, as people that are forgiven, we should indeed forgive. Um, but I think recognizing, one, that's a supernatural. Like, what Brant Jane did, that only... Don't tell me God's not real. Only God in your can na- do that thing. Because okay? <laughs> in, in your... In your woo, because in your flesh, I'm not... That's not happening. That's not happening. Look, in my and flesh, so I want to blow it up. <laughs> I want to blow it all up. The courthouse. I, wanna, I don't want to be there and I don't want to talk to you. Going off. Going off. And so I think, like, let's, you know, let's be realistic about the reality of the supernatural and the reality of, like, God does change us. God does change our hearts. He does give us this supernatural compassion for the people who have offended us. And that is a part of the process. But I think, you know, don't cheapen it by by saying like she was owed that she she wasn't owed that and just like we weren't owed forgiveness for our sins but god in his goodness and kindness and mercy forgave us anyway um i think that that's so important and then i'll just say one last thing since we're talking about both of them jane and this just been on my heart you know generally when you see these things with um you know, in the Emmanuel nine and in the same case, right? Like this black Christianity, like this is the reality of what we have been taught from very early age in black churches. Right. And yet white Christians don't want to sit under black leadership. Mm. You very rarely, let's talk about the number of multi-ethnic churches where the pastor is black. Let's talk about all these, um, you know, people that constantly question, um, black theology, Mm. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, and I and have Take seen many there. people Take of many, there. of many races saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I could do that. I'm just, you know, I'm just some food for thought. You know, you can put that in a little doggy bag, take it home, snack on it later. But the reality is, like, why do we, why are we denigrating Black Christians and saying, like, what they're learning or what we're learning in the historic Black church tradition is not right theology quote-unquote right theology when these instances happen i i i can't think of one where a black christian has not said and there are some that have not can't forget whatever i'm not saying they're not as good christians but i'm just saying i just find it very interesting how many people would rush to share that clip of brant of brant john but if his dad was the pastor of your church one it wouldn't be your church you wouldn't go there because you can't sit under black leadership but two you'd probably be questioning his his theological bona fides and so i just you know that's mm. food for thought mm. for later. Just take it home. Snack on it later. My God, Catherine <laughs> is snatching wigs today. Snatching wigs off, snatching your little extension pieces that you got up in your hair. <laughs> they are out. You are kidding. You- I am so dumb. You said you wouldn't oh, be God. at those churches with the black pastor under his leadership anyway. Woo! Y'all, I just you know, it's the truth. It had to be said. It is honestly. I know that that might make some of my light and brighter friends feel some type of way, but that is the truth. Now you need to look around at your church if you go to what you would consider a you know, let's just say a diverse church because you know whatever. Let's just say you go to a diverse church. Look around. And I want you to see, is your pastor a white pastor? Okay. 
and see all the people that are around in your church. Then I want you to take a leap of faith out of your comfort zone. Go to a church that is led by a black pastor and see how diverse it is. We're not lying. And I think, girl, facts, facts. Uh, I think even is your pastor white? Who's on leadership? The pastoral staff? What are the books you're reading? What are the book book studies you're doing? What books do your church have in the bookstore? Yes. Who are you following on social media? You know, everybody loves to live their life online. Like there is a lack of diversity and there is a lack of respect. I will say this. This is my bottom line. There is a lack of respect for black Christians, black theology, and what we are, what our part is in the global body of Christ. And so there's always a question and again, going back to, see, Tasha really hit y'all with everything. In this book is everything you need to be reconciled. Everything you need. <laughs> because the humility that it takes to say, I don't, just because it is white American middle class does not mean it's right, does not mean it's more godly. It, it doesn't mean anything. That is a cultural way or cultural understanding of who God is. And there are some universal truths about who God is. Um, now my seminary training is jumping out. But I just, it really, I just, it struck me how many of our lighter, brighter friends were sharing this clip talking about this is the gospel at work and like, look at this marvelous display of Christianity. And it was all of those things. I was touched. But those same people what what but you have so many you have so many negative things to say about pastors that didn't go to your preferred seminary mm. we see you and we that's are all i'm gonna say seats. We, we, okay we know what the facts are it's true it's true and i know that this might be hard for some people to hear but here's the thing i know that for me growing up in predominantly white settings i really tried to I know that I assimilated. I know that I kept a lot of people comfortable. And um, I really don't have the space. And in my 20s, this is just something I had to continue to discover and and feel through when I'm in, you know, predominantly white spaces. Like, I really don't have time to make y'all comfortable. I can't. Like, it's just, it's it's too much for me to try to, to um, put my... What's the best word way to say this? To shrink myself, to make myself palatable for you to hear me. Yeah. Like I yeah. want to be able to speak the truth. We here are speaking it in love, but in honesty and say yeah. what we need to say, because honestly, it is too much work. It honestly, it is too much work trying to reason with people who are not wanting to hear the truth anyway. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we want to speak, you know, we speak with kindness, we speak with love, but I think it's also too, like, you're focusing on how the word's being said um, is a way to avoid the subject. Like, you're not really interested in engaging the subject. And I think, you know, going back to forgiveness, it's like you want to jump to forgiveness because you don't want to engage the other things, right? Like, you don't want to get into Dallas PD corruption. You don't want to get into you know, the realities of systemic racism, of why, you know, you know, the realities of white supremacy, you don't want to get into any of that. And I understand, again, as a black person in America, I understand because it's exhausting Mm -hmm. and it's tiring. But the reality is we cannot go forward until we deal with that. And so, you know, resisting the urge 
to have rose-colored glasses about these things, to tie these things off with a, ni- a nice bow without dealing with all these other things, we're not going to... It's it's detrimental to the reconciliation process. Like, you will not be reconciled if you're looking for an easy way out. If you're looking just to hear, I forgive you, and then to be able to move on with your life. You're not, you're not being serious. You're not serious. And that's okay, but then don't say you're en- engaged in reconciliation. Don't talk about your diverse leadership. Like, it's okay. Just be who God created you to be, but don't be trying to drag people of color into your fake reality. <laughs> That is real. Honestly, we could talk about this so much more. And there's so many other voices who would um, of different like ethnicities that would really speak into this in other ways that we can't. Um, we speak to this from our context, which is the Black American context. Um, but there's some other voices that I know have something to say and their experiences are also valid. So um, we're going to wrap this up here because I can tell you we could talk about this for a while from what we are seeing yeah. and hearing. But here's what we want you to do. We want you to reflect. And if you were one of those people that shared, you know, a, a happy, fluffy feelings, I want you to listen to what we said. I want you to, you know, maybe hit us back on social media. Let us know what you think, what you are processing, how what we said, you you decided to think on it, chew on it and, and decide, okay, like, you know what? Maybe I could have viewed this in a different way. And this, you guys gave me some food for thought. So that is our take on chapter six. We're going to talk to y'all soon. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation by our friend Latasha Morrison. Available now wherever books are sold. Get your copy. Get your copy.